Welcome to the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences Residency Preparation Course Podcast. I'm your host, Karina Clements. My doctorate is in education. I'm the Assistant Dean for Medical Education and a faculty member in the Department of Medical Humanities and Bioethics. Our guests today are Riley Lipschitz, MD, Tony Sue Paul, MD, and Molly Gathright, MD. Our discussion today centers on leading and specifically on the topic of communication skills with a focus on several relevant readings. Jug et al. Giving and Receiving Effective Feedback, a review article and how-to guide, and Gilligan et al. Patient-Clinician Communication, American Society of Clinical Oncology Consensus Guideline. Starting with the question of relevance, from your perspective, why are communication skills important for medical students who will soon be transitioning to residency? Riley? Thanks, Karina. Um, as a general internist who's spent a lot of time in the hospital in my residency and then is doing primary care now, communication is the key to, I think, any successful doctor-patient interaction. If you're going to make medical decisions that are going to impact your patients, whether they're in the hospital, in the clinic, or in the home, you have to know how to communicate well with them in such a way that they understand what's happening, they know what to expect, and that they can also communicate back with you about what they're supposed to do, what questions they have, and how they're going to make sure that they have control over their own health. And then communication between physicians, between doctors and nurses, between doctors and pharmacists, um, between you and consultants, it's imperative that we have good communication skills in order to make sure that everybody's on the same page and that we are heading in the right direction to try to get the best outcomes for our patients. Thank you, Tony. So Karina, thanks. I'll add to, to Riley's piece, which I agree with 100%. And as an emergency physician, imagine what a medical resuscitation would be like if we didn't know how to communicate appropriately. In, in those types of um, events or episodes, communication could be the difference and oftentimes is the difference between resuscitating a patient successfully or not and maintaining uh, efficient and effective performance of the team. And as you can imagine, you need every single team member, nurses, techs, pharmacists, uh, physicians, et cetera, um, to help in those types of situations. So. Um, that being, I think, a great example of the significance and importance of effective and efficient communication, maybe one way our students can think about the importance of communication in the medical setting. Thank you. Molly? Thanks, Karina. Yes, I think I'll build a little bit more on what was already said, but as a psychiatrist, you can imagine that uh, communicating is part of my um, everyday clinical work. And, and communicating isn't just about talking, it's also about listening. And so the listening is the, the huge part of communication and an important part. Even when you're not saying anything, you're communicating by listening. I'd also say that communication, good communication, better communication leads to better outcomes. And it leads to better outcomes for our patients. So there was a study by uh, Safran and it showed that patients who trusted their physician and physicians who knew their patients well as a whole were the factors most strongly associated with adherence and patient satisfaction. And then there was another study that said that 
questioning, patients questioning about biomedical topics was negatively associated with satisfaction while questioning about you as a practitioner, questioning about psychosocial topics with, with your patients was positively associated with patient satisfaction. So there's just better outcomes for your patients. There's, other, there's also better outcomes personally when you communicate better. So you communicate better with your teams. It shows when you communicate better, there's um, decreased staff turnover, and there's also decreased burnout. So there's all kinds of reasons that it's really important to, to communicate and to communicate well, and, and everybody wins out in, in that regard. Uh, hey, Karina, if I could just add something to what Molly said, so those are really excellent points. And we think about communication typically as um, how, we, how we speak to each other or what information we share. Uh, and nonverbal communication, I think, is also very, very important. So your facial expressions, your body language, um, and, and picking up on others in the room, including the patient and their families, can tell you a lot. And as an emergency physician, I, I can tell you that um, there's a lot I can glean from the room by just walking into it and getting a sense of how things look. What is the patient actually physically doing? And I believe that you know what I bring to, to the room and to that environment is equally as important before I speak my first word. So uh, communication comes in many forms. And I think all of those are important so that it's not just necessarily the content or especially the technical content. It's all of the other things that impact effective communication. Thank you. From the readings, what stood out to you as important takeaways on communication skills for medical students who will soon be transitioning to residency? You know, I'll take that to start. The interesting thing about the, the readings was that there were two pretty different topics. So one was about feedback, which is, I think, essential to learning how to navigate your early years of residency and training. But, and then the other is about communication more specifically, or I guess more traditionally in the way that we think about how do you talk to patients. So I want to talk about feedback first. Listen, if you're going to be a good doctor, you have got to learn how to solicit good feedback and then also how to give it. So from the, you know, the article, it really talks about that bi-directional way in which we give feedback and take it. When you're a new resident or a new intern, your entire life is trying to pick up all of the information that your senior residents and attendings are giving you. You're trying to learn how to absorb that into your practice and how to be a better doctor. So in, in the beginning phases, you're probably spending a lot of time receiving feedback. And so having a good stance of how to take that and being open and curious and not defensive and, and know that as a new physician, you know, there's a lot you don't know. And we, we use a team-based approach. We use an apprenticeship model in order to get better. So you want to look to everybody around you to give you good feedback so that you can learn how to be better. And then as you move from, you know, intern to second year resident to third year resident to senior resident, whatever you end up doing, you then have to use that information to look back. And you're going to be giving feedback to your medical students. You're going to be giving feedback to your interns, to your junior residents. You're going to be giving feedback to your attendings to say, hey, this didn't go so well, or what do you think that I could have done better? Or this was what it made me feel. How did it make you feel? And there are some real structured ways to give feedback, which I think are valuable to sort of have in your pocket. But the most important thing to me is having um, an open and curious mindset and be from a, a 
the most sort of non-defensive space that you can be in order to get everything you can out of the training, because that's where you're going to be the best physician and the best provider is by trying to constantly look for areas of growth. And that's what good feedback does. Good feedback points out an area where you could be growing and helps you do it. And I think any new physician, when you're transitioning from medical school to residency, that's the stance that I would take. It's like, how can you help me grow? Because that's what I'm here to do. Riley, I would, I would build on that just to say more. I, I really like the feedback article as well. It gave a lot of options in terms of ways to give feedback. Uh, and I think some of that is style. And I think one of the most important things, and you said this too, is, is really about learner self-reflection and also uh, eliciting self-reflection from the folks that you're giving feedback to. So you want your own self-awareness, but you also want to elicit self-reflection from those that you're giving feedback to. And new medical students transitioning to residency, it was just yesterday that you were the medical student eager and hungry for feedback. So don't, don't forget that. So you will be seeking your own feedback because you'll be drinking from a fire hose again, and you're trying to do better and, and learn new things but you will have medical students under you as a new resident and they will be seeking feedback as well. So remember to, to pay forward that desire for feedback and to think about you know, the ways in which you give that, that you have a respectful culture that you're doing in, that you have an appropriate location that you're giving feedback, that you're, you're having mutually satisfi satisfactory goals that you're, you're trying to achieve and that you're really eliciting self-reflection from the receiver, but you're also attuned to your own self-awareness. And I, I like that piece where they said feedback is a gift or feedback mm -hmm. can like can be a gift if done, done well. Um, feedback can be a good gift and being able to sort of point out that like, oh, I'm going to give you a little piece of feedback right now, or let me give you a little feedback, like signposting that experience. It then sort of codifies it in your brain of this is what's happening and and this is a gift that somebody's giving me to be a better doctor. Okay, and I'll, I'll just add to that, that um, feedback is complex. The entire concept, I think the article does a really nice job of, of covering that um, to a certain degree, it's a social contract and there are positives and negatives to feedback. And there probably is no one right way to do it. And I, I think for our students and learners, I also understand that the, the, the faculty or residents that are giving you feedback might not be expert at it. We're, at least I was never formally trained in how to give or receive feedback. And so I've learned how to do this on my own over time um, through some failures, as well as reading, watching others and so forth. And I've since had some workshops and so forth. So it it's imperfect. And I think though it is something that if the receiver and the giver of feedback are cognizant of that and help each other through it with the understanding that no one's gonna be perfect, um, then it, it really can be an incredibly effective tool and done appropriately um, can, can make the learning and training environment one that is incredibly enriching. From your own perspective, could you tell us about your personal experience with communication skills? the one thing I'm thankful of around communication for me is I was a, a, a pretty competitive high school debate person. And those skills have really helped me throughout my career in terms of organizing my thoughts 
and then relaying that information in a, in a structured manner. And when you think about when I was a medical student, providing verbal um, uh, reports on, say, you know, patient's history and physical on rounds, it was much more natural for me, I think, than some of my colleagues, because that's what I learned in high school and, and did it competitively for a number of years. So I, I've been very thankful for that. Um, but, you know, for me and in, in my roles as a leader at UAMS, all forms of communication are critical, written via email, uh, verbal communication, one-on-one -on -one meetings or in larger committee meetings, being able to understand how to listen and then provide um, appropriate responses, um, feedback, critiques, constructive criticism, whatever you want to call it, uh, it is critical, I think, to my success as well as the failures that I've had in my career. And the, the one thing I have learned is um, at least on from a operational standpoint, when we tend to fail as an organization, mm. communication is typically at the core um, when, we, when we perform uh, root cause analyses. And if it's not the main reason, it's, it's one of several reasons why we have failure points in our organization. You know, for me, Tony, I, I appreciate the big picture about um, communication. And, and certainly from an organizational perspective, we have got to be able to make sure that the consistent messaging is going across all the layers. But, it, but the idea of communication for me as, as a primary care doctor, it's probably the most important thing in my practice. It's the thing that I work hardest on because I can look up a recent study and I can um, search the best guidelines and the evidence. And I'm probably not the doc who's gonna rattle off, you know, the, the most recent study about heart failure management. But I do really work hard on being a good communicator to my patients and helping them understand um, complex medical topics in the most succinct and easy way. And that requires a thoughtfulness and a mirroring back of not only what we're saying, but what patients are saying back to us, of being very thoughtful of our language and using language that is appropriate to any situation. The article about um, you know, guidelines in cancer therapy really spells out how are we supposed to navigate a clinic experience, but that could be extrapolated into any uh, doctor-patient relationship. But, you know, the thing we take for granted in our language can often be very confusing, if not off-putting to patients. And that um, is a skill that you can build. And I think some of us, you know, are quote, natural communicators. We're just quote, naturally good at it. And, and that's true. There's some people who, who like it um, more than others, but everybody can learn how to be a good communicator. And I think that's the the thing that I would charge any medical student or new resident with is listen to how everyone else is talking and try to pick up tips and pearls that sound good to you and that that are received well from patients and then incorporate that into your practice. You don't have to communicate the way that I do. You don't have to use the language or the style that I use, but you might find a piece of it that's like, oh, well, I like the way Riley said that. I think I'm gonna explain what's wrong with your thyroid the way that she did, or I'm gonna explain what heart failure is the way that she explained it, 
or I really like the way Molly explained what happens in schizophrenia. You know, like these are the things that we can be learning and seeking to build our own repertoire of communication. And I cannot emphasize it enough. Like if you want to be a really good doctor, learning how to communicate with your patients in a way that they not only hear you, but can then take onus of their own healthcare experience. It's so rewarding. It's really, I think one of the most rewarding things about being a doctor to me. I, I agree, Riley. It's relationship building, right? Communication is at the crux of relationship building. I think that's what you and Tony both said. And as a, as a psychiatrist, it is what builds my relationships, my communication, the way I communicate with my patients is what builds my relationships with them. So I think good medicine is anchored in good communication. And it's not about, it's not just learning how to ask an open-ended question to your patients or, but it's rather about your very careful and thoughtful use of words that then enhances your experience with your patients or even your colleagues or your team members. So I think my summary for me is, is that our words matter and we should pay attention to our words. In fact, the words that we use, they guide how we think, how we work, and how we act every day. So how we communicate our words influence all the relationships around us. Thank you. This has already been a, a masterclass discussion on communication skills. Riley? Can I say one thing really quickly? Molly, you bring up a really important point, this idea that sometimes the little things that we say um, that are in our doctor culture, you don't realize the impact they have on patients. And the thing I think about the most you're in the ICU and you're on rounds. And in the background, we're saying that patient's circling the drain. They're trying to die on me, right? And I've had people who said they heard, you know, me. And I, you know, I like really <laughs> try to be a good communicator, but some of the lingo that we use that we think is maybe taking away a little bit of the pressure that we're actually dealing with some life or death situations. And sometimes we take that, we use lingo like circling the drain or trying to die on me. Um, to relieve some of the pressure of what we feel like is happening, but it's not positive to the patient. And those are little things that we can kind of check ourselves on. Um, saying somebody is uh, a frequent flyer, they're always here. That sort of language plays out in the way that we talk to people. Um, saying someone's a sickler who has sickle cell disease is pejorative. And yet it's some of the language that we use as regular practice and um, finding where those uh, sayings lie and trying to change the way that we speak will make a difference in our outcomes. Thank you. What pearls of advice would you give to medical students who'll soon be residents? So I think, I think one summary is a simple sentence to say, communication is the most common procedure that we do as physicians. Every one of us do this procedure. We get training on all kinds of procedures, how to do an LP, how to, whatever, whatever your specialty is, you get trained on procedures, but communication is the one procedure that is across all specialties. And we as physicians in our lifetime will have greater than 200,000 patient interactions. So think about that. Think about your communication. And that's, those are patient interactions. Think about all the other relational interactions you have that have communication. And I think my other piece of advice is 
if I could go around and hand out pause buttons, I would, because I think the thing that we can do best in communication is to pause and to think again before we speak or before we write an email or before we do something that is not, not helpful. So think, so pause, and a lot of miscommunication could be less if we pause before we actually speak. And that, that means you listen, be comfortable with silence. It's okay. It's okay to have silence in a room with a patient. It's okay to have silence with a colleague. Okay, and I'll give one more statistic because I do like stats, but how quickly do you think that we interrupt our patients as soon as we ask them a question about their symptoms? Seven seconds. Seven seconds. The research actually says that it's about 18 to 23 seconds. But the problem, the, that's, that's a little more than seven seconds. But the problem really is, is that once they're interrupted, 25% of patients will never go back and finish what they're saying. And so they get redirected. And when they're interrupted, the message from you as the clinician is that, hey, hush up, I'm in charge, I'm the physician. So just remember to be, be intentional about your communication, to pause and that to practice it. Take your cues from other people and practice good communication because it can be caught like Riley said. It's a procedure like we do other procedures. Yeah, so I'll, I'll just um, share maybe an analogy to your own personal health around communication. It takes a lot of hard work, takes a lot of practice to develop good muscle memory. And you're gonna have good days and bad days. You need to reflect um, and um, level set uh, what kind of what you're doing and, and also have a good understanding of the impact you're having, not only on yourself and your team members, but the patient and the care team involved in the environment that you are communicating in. So um, it's, uh, I, I think it takes, it takes years to become an effective communicator in medicine, which is why we have medical school and then residency training. And then even as a young attending, you're hopefully gonna be far uh, more polished uh, several years later. And it's, again, it's the art of medicine. You're never gonna perfect it. Um, but you know, if, if you take the time, the energy, to think about how you can improve over time, you will be a far better communicator and, 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 and because of that, a much more effective clinician. So I'm gonna use my time to talk about feedback since Molly and Tony said great things about communication. Uh, the one tip of advice, when you're gonna be a new resident, really solicit feedback and ask, because if, if you ask for it, people are more apt to give it to you. Um, if you know that you're open for it, people are gonna look to, to try to give you the feedback that you desire. And what I would say is, is that you know, the way to build a culture, the good thing about residency is that culture shifts every few years. So when you start um, in your first weeks of, of internship, I want you to say to your your residents, your senior residents and your attendings, it's like, hey, I, would you please give me some feedback about how I'm doing? Because it's so overwhelming being a new doctor. You spend four years in medical school learning about what it means and learning some general things about medicine, but you don't really become a doctor until you start practicing. And it's a whole new era of your growth and maturation as a person, as a physician and in your career. And so actively saying, 
what did you think about that? what do you think about that interaction? Did you, what's some feedback that you can give me? And, and it's not always positive. It's like, I, I want to learn and grow, help me do it. And you're not going to ask for that every day because you're just trying to survive most days, but check yourself every couple of weeks, every month, think, you know, Hey, have I gotten the feedback that I'd really like? And maybe sometimes sit down with your faculty and your attendings and say, Hey, what do you, what do you think? How could I be better about this? When I worked up, you know, when I did that uh, ACLS issue, like, how did I go? How, what was the communication like? What was it like to work up that heart failure patient? What was it like to put them on pressors? What did shock do? These are questions that you can be asking. And I really think that if you can be open to feedback, it will change the way you practice medicine. This has been such a valuable discussion. Thank you to our guests today and our listeners. We hope that you will be able to join us for another episode of UMS's Residency Preparation Course podcast. Take care.